Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attacked those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, He said fight. You can't fight. He said withstand. You can't withstand. He said stand. What does it mean to stand? He said don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we've got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it fast for us, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome, David Baker. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. Hey, we're glad that you're here. And uh, we have been talking for a couple weeks about Calvinism. And we did the first one on why we disagree with all five points of Calvinism. And that's a a summary one you can go and look at. And then last time we talked about going into the tulip of total depravity. And so when we talked about that, we explained, and if you missed that, make sure you go back, talked about why so many people mess it up. They don't understand where a trichotomy. Um, a trichotomy. We're made up of three. God is God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit, and it says we are made in His image. We are a body and a soul and a spirit. And so when you understand what happened to that soul in the beginning and the body and the spirit, so much of the total depravity is going to make sense. So we're going to go into the next one now, and it is... Um, one that, uh, it's interesting, when R.C. Sproul, we've talked about him because he is, quote, the expert out there in that. And uh, when he was teaching his class, uh, he said he can get them all to believe total depravity. You know, we're all depraved, uh, we're sinners, nothing we do good can go to heaven. He can get them there very easily. Then they go to point number two of of this uh, unconditional election, and the way it's explained is that some are elected for heaven, you get to go to heaven, and some are elected for hell, and it's unconditional, it's willy-nilly, it's eeny, meeny, miny, mo. God can just choose whoever he wants, and you have no say, no choice, you don't have a free will to accept Christ as your Savior, because you're so totally depraved that you have an inability to accept Christ as your Savior, and so now election is just totally depending upon whoever God wants to choose. And when R.C. Sproul was talking about this, he even said his whole class, he lost him. He lost his whole class. And he even, Jonathan, when he talked about that for himself, he had a problem with that. What did R.C. Sproul even have a problem with? Yeah, he talked about when he was, uh, when he was 19 in seminary um, that when total depravity was brought, uh, he understood it, the same as his class, but when... Uh, when their conclusion that you are totally unable to accept God. Um, and so because of n- not being able to accept God, then you are unconditionally elected. And this was the part that they had a diff- the difficulty with. Because their conclusion, then they, they have then created a problem. Because they believe that you are totally unable, then how else does someone get saved? Well, then they have to be unconditionally elected. And that means that some are elected for heaven and some are elected for hell. And R.C. Sproul said he struggled with it so much. He struggled with it because he has a soul. And it's written on his soul. And he doesn't realize that that conscience 
that God gave him is telling him, hey, this is wrong. This is wrong. What did he have to do before he finally accepted it? He had to sear his conscience before he could then accept the doctrine of unconditional election, that God would elect some for heaven and elect some for hell. Amen. So if you're listening to this and you are Calvinist, probably we're not going to change your mind. I hope that you would give it a fair hearing because I believe you'll hear some things that you, um, some of them that you haven't heard before to be able to understand where he's coming from when he says this. What happens is, like we talked about last time with um, with some where you, you just get it said, okay, no one can come to the Father except God draws him. All right, I got it. Boom. And our brain switches and that's all we can get. And then we try to build everything else around it to make it fit in that doctrine. But when you see, whoa, God called everybody, everybody. Um, God said he would draw all men when he died on the cross. Oh, wow. Now I understand that more. And if we could understand some things in this, I think it will help also. So um, I'm going to uh, give some uh, easy ones. Uh, with Jonathan, um, so how can God have these things playing and going, you know, so if God is in charge of both sides, okay, um, the chess illustration you wanted to talk about, explain that. Right. So I, I, I heard an illustration before and I thought it was incredible and, and very applicable to this. It, some people think that, and, and R.C. Sproul specifically has a, a quote, he says, um, he says, if there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. So R.C. Sproul believes that God has to be in complete control of everything, otherwise he doesn't have any control. Um, and I heard this illustration for it, and it says, well, what if you're at a park, and you know the parks you see where they've got like chess uh, boards out there, and, uh, and this guy, you watch him, and he moves a chess piece, and then he turns, he rotates the board to the other side, and then he moves that side, and then he rotates it again, and he moves that side. And, and somebody asks him and says, why, why are you playing both sides? And he says, well, this is the only way to determine the outcome. And you're like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense. And then you walk down a little way further, and there is a guy hopping between 10 different games at one time. And playing the 10 best chess masters of the world and schooling them all at the same time, just moving board to board and board to board, moving chess pieces and winning. Which one is more sovereign over that chessboard? The one who has to move both pieces or the one who it doesn't matter what piece you move, he's going to win. And that's the God I believe we serve. It doesn't matter what Satan throws at him because God's going to win. He, he knows and he plans for everything. It doesn't matter what piece of chess that Satan moves. And even at the cross, Satan was like, I've got you. And God says, ha, I, I, I have a, a, another life. You, you didn't see this one coming. And, and so it doesn't matter what chess piece Satan moves. God is sovereign, not because he controls both sides, but because he, he's bigger than that. He's bigger than the chess board itself. Amen. So in R.C. Sproul explaining this, and they have their tulip, um, so this is the U, unconditional election, but he always tweaks it a little bit and changes it. So how does he, how does he go into that, Jonathan? Right, and so that, that is uh, what he calls it then is sovereign election, and that's why his quote there, um, if there was one molecule that was outside of God's control. So he believes that God has to be in full control of everyone who gets saved or everybody who uh, goes to hell. So he has control over the whole board and he has sovereign election, meaning God chooses the ones who go to heaven and the ones who go to hell. It's amazing that we can't just say God's sovereign. God can do whatever God wants to do. He is all powerful. All power is given to him in heaven and earth. And so because I do have all power, I give to people their free will to be able to do what they choose to do. And I give them choices. Um, I don't know why that is so hard um, for people to have and to get and where they, they say, you know, God's sovereign. Yes, he is. He's all powerful. He can do whatever he wants. And here's what God chose to do. Give people a free will so they can accept him or reject him. That's from the beginning of the Garden of Eden. You couldn't 
you couldn't have a free will if there wasn't a choice to do something wrong. So God had to allow that tree of knowledge of good and evil. So they had a choice from the very beginning. The first part of man, he had a choice to choose God or to reject what God said. And um, that choice is all the way through. So I'm going to go through a couple uh, simple ones. Um, And these, most of the time, people just quote half of them. And when they quote the full one, it doesn't mean what they say it means. It's amazing how many times, I don't think that means what you think it means. And uh, because you keep reading and they see that. So John uh, fifteen sixteen, it says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. There it is. See, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Wait, <laughs> ordained you, comma, that you should that you should go forth, uh, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask in my Father's name, He may give it you. It is not saying some of you are chosen for heaven and some of you are chosen for hell. How in the world can you get that by quoting the whole verse? If you quote half of a verse, absolutely, you can make it mean whatever you want. God said He chose us that we would what go and bring forth fruit. Again, I ask, okay, if the only people that are saved are the ones that bring forth fruit, then there are a whole bunch of Calvinists that are never going to be in heaven, okay, uh, because they're not bringing forth fruit. That's what that is, uh, is talking about. So the, another one that is um, very simple and about the same thing, Romans eight twenty nine, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. There it is. God foreknew them, and God predestinated. It's amazing how we fill it in the way we want it to be. God predestinated us for heaven, and God predestinated some for hell. It's amazing how we add that in. And you understand, that is only, that's less than half the verse. Here it is, Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so we understand this. Jesus is the only one today who has a glorified body. Uh, he was the firstborn. He, when he rose from the dead, has a glorified body now. And that's why they knew who Jesus was by his soul, by his words when he said uh, Mary, or when he walked by the way and when he uh, broke the bread. Oh, you're Jesus. Things that he did, but they didn't know him by the way he looked. His visage, he didn't look like Jesus. Uh, but the things he did, they saw and recognized him when he called his name. And so um, when he called their name, and so what did he do? He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, meaning one day, if you're saved, then you and I are going to have a glorified body and we're going to be like him for we will see him as he is. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, we're going to have a glorified body like Jesus has. So when it says he predestinated us not to be saved, he predestinated us what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Anyway, very simple. It's amazing to me that scholars and intellectual and Jonathan, when we talked about this in the beginning, like, okay, are we going to be blown away by this? And then you look and see what they take and what they use and what they believe. It's like, are you kidding me? A half of a verse out of context and this is what you're basing your salvation on? It, it, it is if it wasn't so sad, it would be laughable. If it's just an intellectual debate, then you would just laugh. Really? That's the verse you're taking? Anything that has in it, there's so few verses, anything that has in it election or foreknowledge or predestined, then it's got to be Calvinism because you don't have much. But, but most of the ones, when you read the whole verse, you can't get that at all. All right? So the um, other big one, and by the way, if you saw this, it's part one, uh, and we knew from the beginning when we got into this, like, okay, to answer all the forgive me, junk and garbage, (laughs) kindly, trying to say, for all the stuff they get into and try to twist and change, we're going to need more than one uh, podcast to do this in. And so, um, so, but this one is such a big one. We want to take a lot of time on that and make sure you understand it and go back to, quote, the original, ready? (laughs) Go back to the scriptures, go back to the Old Testament and explain what this is talking about, because if you don't get that, you're going to miss so much of this. So Jonathan, here we go. Jacob, have I loved, uh, but Esau have I hated. So uh, there it is. It's just chosen, unconditional, from the womb. Uh, he just chose them because he wanted to love one and hate the other, and there's nothing he can do. So uh, uh, what do we, by the way, <laughs> it's interesting, you know, tell this to a 10-year-old kid, what's their question going to be? But wait, I thought God loved everybody, for God so loved the world. How do you get by with, for God so loved the world, but yet God hated 
Esau. How do you get by with that? Um, the way they teach it, you can't. Biblically, when you understand context, absolutely you can't. So, Jonathan, uh, take off and uh, help us with this. Yeah, so, um, it, like what you just said, I, I think it's very important to divine, to uh, take this scripture and define it not based on, you don't define the whole scripture based on this chapter, you just define this chapter based on the whole scripture. And the rest of the scripture would contradict with the conclusion that they've come to with this. Now, looking at it, I do understand the difficulty with it if you just read this, and that is the problem. You, A lot of it seems sort of wordy, and so I find myself, and as I read it, I go, uh, okay, don't understand, don't understand, don't understand, maybe this isn't applicable to me, and then something jumps out at you that's like that catchy thing, and you're like, whoa, where am I at? And you have no idea, and then you go back and redefine all the previous verses based on that one that you came to. And so when you read verse 11 of, of chapter 9 in Romans, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. You see, God called them. They didn't do any good or evil. God called them and they didn't have any choice. And and that's how one becomes elect and one doesn't. And it was said to, unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. And, and in verse 15, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So that's it. Think, oh, they got it. It's over. Yeah. And, and the, the problem is, what Paul is talking about right here, these are all uh, pieces of verses in the Old Testament. In, in uh, Romans 7, 1, it says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. So Paul, and this is you know just two chapters later in chapter 9, Paul is talking to people that know the law. So what is he going to do? He's going to bring up passages from the law. So we would be mistaken to not also know the law, because if he's speaking to people that know the law, then we have to also know the law to understand what he's saying. It's only logical. So let's go back to Genesis in what he's specifically talking about. In Genesis 25, uh, verse 20, it says, And Isaac was 40 years when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. So doing all things that they're supposed to do, you got a problem, you go to God. And so she inquired of the Lord, and then he said to her, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. And, and remember this, this, this part is, this part is uh, very important for the rest of this. Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and one of the people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So what we have right here is uh, what Paul is referring to in verse 12 of chapter 9, where it says, the elder shall serve the younger. It was told her, that the elder shall serve the younger because she inquired about what was going on. What, what is this? And we see later in their life, they did have problems together. Did they did fight against each other. Um, but this wasn't a commandment that the elder would serve the younger. This was a prophecy of what was to be. Are there any other times in the Bible where God goes to the women that have children inside them and, and maybe gives them a prophecy of what is to be? Um, huh. Maybe uh, like Mary with right. Jesus. What's going right. on? I've not yet known a man. How could I be with child? And uh, so God had to explain to her that. Right. And, and the same here. God gave her a prophecy of what is to come. And he says the elder shall serve the younger. So her as the mother, she knows, hey, there's going to be a little turmoil. This is a little bit out of the ordinary. Normally, the eldest brother, he, he, uh, he's the next in line for everything. But somehow... The elder brother, he's going to serve the younger. All right. So then in Genesis 25, verses 29, And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field. 
and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with some, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. They did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So this is the first point where... Um, where we see, I guess, uh, them fighting amongst themselves. And, and Jacob basically swindles, swindles his brother Esau out of the birthright. And, and Esau, I mean, he's hungry. We don't necessarily make all the best decisions when we're hungry. Um, he makes the decision to sell his birthright for food, which wasn't a very good trade. And he hates, he despises his birthright. Now, I think it's important to understand first, what is the birthright of the eldest son? If we look through all throughout the Bible, the eldest son becomes the patriarch, the next one. But we look at, uh, we look at Isaac and, and Ishmael. Isaac became the patriarch and not Ishmael. Why? Because Isaac was chosen to. And Ishmael was not. Ishmael was out of the plan of God and where uh, Moses was supposed to have children from. And they tried to do it in their Abraham. own power. Yeah, where Abraham. Yeah, you said Moses. I, sorry, <laughs> Moses. My, my bad. Um, yeah. Excuse me. For Abraham, he, he had uh, Ishmael first. Ishmael was the eldest son. And God made of him a great nation. But Isaac was the patriarch. So that right there... It, is, is an example of the eldest not being the patriarch. And then here, Esau should have been the patriarch, but he gave his birthright of being the next in line to basically run the family. That's, that's the weight of that falls to the eldest. And there are other blessings and stuff that come of it too. I mean, we know in the story of the prodigal son, the eldest that stays, he gets the property, he gets the land, he gets all of that, and he runs the household. And the younger, what does he get? He gets a portion. He gets the money from it. Well, the eldest, yes, is supposed to get the double portion of it. Right. And it's interesting. So after Esau despises birthright, but really even before he despises birthright, he did not put a value on the birthright to trade it for a pot of lentils. Really? Mm -hmm. So he almost despised, he didn't value it. And here's a God in heaven who looks down and what is God going to think when he says that? You don't value this birthright that could, quote, have been yours? Is that? And again, that's the foreknowledge. God knows that. And he says, all right, the elder is going to serve the younger. And he did. But this is, um, yeah, Jacob uh, wasn't uh, really the best of him to do. But this was Esau. <laughs> all Esau had to say is, absolutely not. I'm not getting my birthright for some food. I'll go ask mom to make me something. Uh, it would have been so easy for him to do something different. But he is the one that gave that up. Right. And so this right here is where the elder is now going to serve the younger. Now, my question to you is, did God cause Esau to sell his birthright or did Esau choose? And I think this is important because yep. if God caused Esau to sell his birthright, then God made it happen. But God didn't. And it was his choice. He chose to sell his birthright. So when God told Rebecca that the elder would serve the younger, that was a prophecy, not a commandment. Yeah. God was not telling the elder that he had to, that he had to relinquish his right as the elder brother. No, he chose to do that. Um, then later on, and, and we know the story, but Jacob then deceives him again. And because of his mother, um, he goes in and he steals the blessing. And then Esau comes back uh, with the with the meat, and and Jacob, or excuse me, Isaac is confused because he just gave the blessing to whom he thought was uh, was Esau, and Esau is begging uh, Isaac for a blessing, and Isaac blesses him too. So both of them ended up with the bless with a blessing, but both of them. Uh, Esau did not end up with what he was supposed to as the eldest brother. Um, 
two different times from that. So, in Romans, did God choose one over the other? I think there's a yes and no to this. Um, let's go to uh, Malachi 1. Malachi 1, and the, the burden of the, of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage to waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, that they shall build, but I will throw down, and they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. So it was not told in Genesis that he loved Jacob or Esau. So, and both Jacob and Esau were blessed. When Jacob blesses them, where does he think these blessings come from? These are from God, right? So both of them were blessed, but it's what they chose to do with it. If you look throughout the history of Jacob and Esau, Jacob, his name was turned to what? Israel. And then Esau, Esau is then called Edom. And so when it, it says in this passage, it says both, it says Esau, and then it also says, therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom and the Edomites are the people. And then Israel and the Israelites are the people. When he says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, he's not talking about the individual person. He's talking about the group of people. Now you say, no, 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 no. He used their individual names. It doesn't work like that. If he used their individual names, then he's talking about the individual. He hated Esau and he loved Jacob. No, because look back in Genesis. Remember I said, remember this point, it's important. When Rebekah entreated the Lord, what is his answer to her? He said, and the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. There, at the beginning of Jacob and Esau, what was in her womb? Two nations. So, and for you, for anyone to say that no, he can't be addressing a nation by using their first name, he addressed two infants as two nations in the womb. So he can very well, at the end of the Old Testament, also still address them as nations. He always has from the very beginning. He's always addressed them as nations. And if we can, if we can see this, and maybe a good time to put this in, to see. God does not choose some for heaven and some for hell. And we'll talk about that at every point. We'll talk about it next time also, that God died for all. Um, God so loved the world, okay? Esau was one of the world. Individually would love them and give them a choice to be saved, to accept Messiah as our Savior. And um, and so, but in nations, in God choosing people for a work, yes, God chooses people. And listen carefully, you may not like this, but we're going to prove it. God chooses people for a work based on who they are, what they've done, what they are, God does. Look at anybody in the Bible, go through them all and look and see the people that God chose. There's a purpose and a reason why. For instance, Jacob and Esau, okay? We just saw Esau <clears throat> didn't care about his birthright and sold it for a pot of pot of lentils, okay? And boy, Jacob, birthright was a big deal to him. Jacob was wrestling with God for God to bless him, hanging on to God. And God changed his name to Israel. Why did Jacob... Why did he choose him as a nation? Because he was after God. He cared about the birthright. It was important to him to be able to do that. But let's go back. Sometimes people ask the question, why did God choose Israel? Okay. And technically, listen, God didn't choose Israel. God chose Abraham and kept his word. Now, later on, God did again choose Israel. But in the beginning, that's not how it started. God chose Abraham. Abraham. 
Okay, and why? What did God say? He said, I'm looking for someone that I can make a great nation. I will make of thee a great nation. Then he said, I will make of you the father of many nations, and that all nations of the earth would be blessed by who? By one man, Abraham. And why? Why did God choose Abraham? Uh, Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Really? Is that how God chose him? Again, salvation is everybody. We'll prove that again on other points. Salvation is given a choice for everyone, but for service and for a purpose and for a plan, God looked at people and chose them based on something. So listen to this. For Abraham, why? Look it up. Genesis 18, 19. I'm choosing someone to be the father of many nations and to make a great nation with. He said, for I know him, talking about Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. If you're choosing someone to make of a great nation, you need to have someone who's going to what? Command his children and his household after him, who's going to do justice and judgment. That's why God chose Abraham. I know him. And that's what he's going to do. Gigantic deal. Noah, okay? <laughs> the whole world's a mess and you want to save the human race? How? Why? Look at uh, Genesis 6 verse 8. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Why did God choose Noah? Oh, willy-nilly, eeny, meeny, miny, no. No. Again, salvation Jonathan, how many of those people could be saved uh, during the days of Noah? How many? Uh, it doesn't say. No, how, how many, many could be? How many had an opportunity? Well, how many? That's it, absolutely going? physically saved by the by the boat. Everybody, how long was he building that boat? Everybody, yeah. everybody, and 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 it, it's it's uh, on. Since you're on Noah now, if you if you get on the boat you are predestined to be saved. If you don't get on the boat, you're predestined to die. The, what is predestined? The what is predestined is the destination of the boat. The destination of the boat is predestined. Who gets on the boat is up to whether someone chooses it or not. And did, ha- did Noah have any control over the destination of the boat? No, he didn't. All he could do was have faith that God was going to control it. He built a massive boat based on specifications that he doesn't know what's going to work. They've never experienced anything like this. And, but he, by faith, he gets on the boat. And he tells other people, he's a preacher of righteousness, he tells other people, you can also be saved by the boat. And they don't. Nobody gets on but him and his family. But he didn't know where that boat was going. But those who got on the boat were predestined to live. Because that was the promise God had given them. And those who didn't get on the boat were predestined to die. And that's a great uh, way. And as we know, the ark was Christ, and God closed them in. And the Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. 120 years preaching what? Okay, there's a flood coming, Messiah to be saved, a preacher of righteousness. That's Jesus Christ. So they could be saved. They chose not to be saved. But God chose Noah. Why? Because he was a just man, perfect man, and he walked with God. Okay? And again, keep on looking. Moses. Why did God choose Moses? He was very meek above all men which... Uh, were upon the face of the earth, Numbers 12. Why did God choose David? Okay, because of his stature, his height? No, because God knew his heart. He's going to stand for me. Uh, he, he said, David was a man after my own heart. He had the courage to fight a lion and a bear and Goliath. That's why God chose him. And so look at anybody in the Bible, disciples, David, keep on going. Why did God choose him? There's a purpose, not for salvation, that's open to anybody, a free will and a choice. But for a purpose and a cause, absolutely, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and Esau, why God chose Jacob, uh, the birthright was a big deal to him. And he was going to fight with God to hold on to God. Uh, and his name was changed to a prince. And you're going to find that all throughout the Bible when you look at the people that God chose. Absolutely. And so let's go back to in, in light of all of that, what we just talked about. We just talked about, went all the way back to when it first mentions, and what Paul was talking about in Genesis, when he prophesied to, her, to Rebecca, and then you see it play out, and then in Malachi, which, which Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, and, and, then, uh, and specifically the beginning of the Old Testament, and then Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, talking about this again, talking about the peoples, and 
he loved the people of Israel, Jacob, and he hated the people of Esau, which are which is Edom, the Edom, Edomites. Why did he why did he have those feelings towards them? Because of the direction they went and the choices they made. I mean, if you remember back with um, when Moses was leading the children out of Egypt, there was one point where he was ready to kill all the children of Israel and start over with Moses. And he didn't. Why didn't he? Because Moses talked him out of it. God will make choices when you don't follow what he has for you. He will, and, and at times, completely take out a group of people if they're going to go completely against him. But they have the choice to go against him. But anyhow, so then um, they were chosen, but what were they chosen for? We just went over this, but they weren't chosen unto salvation. Will all the children of Israel be saved? When we get to the end, it's like, okay, you know, they were trusting in, uh, in their works to go to heaven because they were trusting in the law. They were counting their steps every day, and they, but they were trusting in the law. So will they go to heaven because they were children of Israel and they were chosen? Or will they go to hell? Well, if that's true, then why would they go to hell? They're chosen. Well, because it wasn't saying they were chosen for heaven. They were chosen for a different purpose. Not every time things talked about as the chosen, that doesn't mean that they were chosen for heaven. They were chosen for different purposes. You just went through that with all those people. They weren't chosen for heaven. Everybody can accept Christ, but they were chosen for something. So we'll look at this. And we'll, let's reread verse 11 of Romans 9. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. So God called. God called Jacob for what purpose? Well, that's interesting that according to election might stand. What election? God called him for what? What did he call? Well, let's just back up in the same chapter to verse 4. Verse 4 of chapter 9. Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises? And then verse 5. Whose are the fathers of whom as concerning the flesh of Christ came, who is over all and blessed forever. Amen. Right here, it's telling you why the children of Israel were chosen. They weren't chosen as the only ones to be saved. If, if, if you look at Jonah, Jonah was a preacher from Israel to go to Nineveh, which were wicked heathen people. He didn't want to do it, but Eventually, he did it, so then obviously other people can get saved too. I don't think anybody says that only the children of Israel could go to heaven. So then we'd have to understand why they were chosen, and it says there in verse 4, they were chosen for certain specific things, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants. And then look at this, and the giving of the law. Where do we get our Bible from? God's holy word. We get it from the children of Israel. Yep. How else was it supposed to be preserved? And then it says, and the service of God. What group of people throughout the entire history of the world have been in service of God? And there are times that they strayed, but these people specifically were, the, were supposed to be the servants of God. And then it says, and the promises. And this is... This is the big point, God created this promise to them. He, he says to Abraham, he says, by thee shall all nations be blessed. How are all nations blessed by, by Abraham? How? Messiah, Messiah and the word of God, all those came through by Abraham. Right, right. All of these things, the, the adoption, the glory, covenants, the giving of the law, and the service of God and the promises, the promise specifically referring to what? The Messiah coming. This promise that all nations were going to be blessed was given to Abraham that it was going to come through his line, his lineage. That 
the Messiah was supposed to come through him. We, as Gentiles, get our Messiah from the Jews. They were chosen for that. Now, God can do anything, but imagine trying to go to Edom, who turned to witchcraft, idolatry, and all that, and getting your Messiah through them. Right. They didn't protect the law. Think about it. Esau was, was Abraham's son, too. He should know the law. What about maybe some of uh, other of uh, of uh, Abraham's sons, not just Isaac's? What about what about them? Should they, should they know the law too? You think uh, Ishmael and then Isaac, and then after Sarah died, then we have uh, Keturah, and then what about all his other sons? You've got right. Midian and the Midianites. Why didn't he come through them? Well, because they did not uphold the law. They didn't stay with it. They should have. You, you think Abraham taught only Isaac, or did he teach all of his kids the law? I, I would say that he taught the law to every one of his kids. He's not going to only teach it, teach it to, to Isaac. But Isaac was chosen, and then Jacob was chosen for the purpose of bringing the Messiah to. Now, through. Now, that's, that's an honor to bring it through those people, but that doesn't mean that other people aren't going to get saved or won't get saved or can't get saved or some are chosen to be saved and some are not chosen to be saved. The promise in verse 11, the children were not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, what is the purpose of God? That the Messiah is going to come and save the world. The purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. There's nothing you can do, but God elected a group of people, the children of Israel, to bring the Messiah through. And it wasn't good or evil. It was the choices of direction of where they're going, and God chose Jacob. And it was said to her that the elders shall serve the younger. And then it says in verse 14, and what shall we say then? Is, this, is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. I think it's very important with this passage to understand, first, who Paul is talking to, and then what is he trying to tell them? It, it says uh, in Romans 1, that he is talking to the saints that are in Rome. So people that are already accepted Christ. And then what is he trying to tell them? So Paul talks about how he is a missionary to the Jew and then the Gentile. But he specifically is a missionary to the Gentiles. But the Jews didn't like that. I mean, you look at Jonah. He didn't want to go to the Gentiles. And it's been that way throughout History, they, many Jews have an animosity towards other groups of people when they're not supposed to be that way. They, they, they take this air that, ha, ah, we're chosen and you're not, so we're better. And Paul tells them, no, you're not better. He, he tells them, I believe, in, in, in chapter 4 you know, or chapter 3, like, are we better because we're Jew? He says, no, we're not better. And, and then he goes through and tells them, we're all gone out of the way. We can, there's none good in any of us. Um, so he tells them, he's trying to tell the Jews that you're not better than one or you're not better than the Gentile. There's a purpose for why you were chosen and you're, chosen and you're missing it. You were chosen to, to protect the law, but now you put the law as your way to go to heaven. You're counting your steps to get to heaven You're on the Sabbath. You're trying to follow all of these rules. These were only to, to be used as a schoolmaster to bring you to the Messiah not as your way to get to heaven. So then he tells them, listen, I'm a missionary to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And why to the Gentile? Because the Jew rejected it. And then they say, you can't do this. We're, we're the Jews. We're the chosen. And he says, it, it, God can do whatever he wants. Basically, that's what it comes down to. That's what he's trying to tell them. God chose you. How did he chose, choose Abraham? Because Abraham was a servant and Abraham was righteous. And so he chose Abraham for this purpose. And he says, and I can choose the Gentiles because they're willing to accept me the same way Abraham was. And the Jews aren't. And so he's trying to tell the Jews that, listen, it is just for God to then go to the Jews with this, excuse me, go to the Gentiles with this same promise that they can now take the law and they can go to the rest of the world. Because anybody could 
always get saved if they accepted him. But what is he promising now and why is he struggling with the Jews? Specifically, he was constantly having a hard time preaching to the Jews and they didn't accept it. But now I'm going to the Gentiles because the Jews won't accept it. So the simplicity of this, and by the way, I would encourage you to go read Romans 9 and understanding it's talking about two nations. Uh, interesting, when we were listening to R.C. Sproul on this, he said, yeah, I had such a problem with unconditional election, okay? <laughs> and, and all of his students in the classes have all had a problem with that. Why? Because it goes totally against the, the, your soul. Uh, it goes totally against the Holy Spirit if you're saved. That's just not right. They had a problem with that. And he said, when I looked up and studied, I saw some people taught, this is talking about two nations of Jacob and Esau, two nations, but obviously that can't be true because he used individual names. So it always comes back to the individual names. But what a great truth. Go back to the original names in the beginning. What's going on inside of me? Two nations. Two nations. When you understand that, oh, wow, it's two nations. And Malachi. When Jesus said, uh, Jacob, have a love, Esau, have a hated. When was that? It wasn't Genesis. That was Malachi. Talk about the nations of Jacob. Israel and the nations of Esau, Edom, look and see what the Edomites went into. Interesting when you brought up Keturah because she had so many other kids. Abraham took a wife, her name was Keturah, and she bare him Zimram and Jokshan and Medan and Midian and Ikshak and Shuhan. Uh, and then Jokshan begat and Midian begat. And by the way, how, and Jonathan, you said the law, and I know you didn't mean that because the law wasn't given to Moses, but what Abraham had, the righteousness, right. the gospel was preached right. unto Abraham. Okay, the Bible says that. And the lamb and Isaac and the ram caught in the thicket, God will provide him a lamb. Did he teach that just to Isaac? Or you think, think he taught that to Ishmael also? And um, Keturah's Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian. By the way, Moses, when he went uh, into the wilderness, who did he meet? Um, he met uh, the priest of what? Midian. That very easily could have been still straight on doctrine coming from his father, Midian, and their father, Abraham. Could have still had that. And so, you know, he was a priest of Midian, and the Midians were from Abraham. So interesting to be able to have that. Um, but what was taught? So what was passed down? Some people kept it. By the way, you know, even for the children of Israel, it was hard for them. You have Israel and Judah and the split kingdom, they were fighting to be able to keep their semblance of they had revival and heathen and Baal worship and all that, but they kept it better than anyone to be able to pass down where we have the scriptures, the purpose to be fulfilled. We have the Bible. Uh, we have salvation. We have Messiah, all that to be passed down, whereas there's still some semblance of that. So real simple to be able to look at the Jacob and Esau in there is Israel and Edom, and you follow Edom out, see what they turned into. There's no way you can have the scriptures and the uh, Messiah come through them, and God knew that in his foreknowledge and said that earlier. So any other thing on that? I know there's one more we want to talk about, because in all this, and if you want to set this up for for um, Pharaoh, okay, and Moses, and, um, and that, or is there anything else you wanted to say on this? Um. Yeah, I mean, this, this segues into, into the next part. Uh, I, I think uh, we've d done a good job at, at covering and understanding that, okay, maybe it's not what... I, I wasn't looking at the whole passage. There, I was assuming and putting in my own definition of what was the election and what were they called for, and the purpose of God wasn't for one person but the group of people and that there were nations and okay then what is going on from there but then you know uh paul paul doesn't stop there he gives them another illustration to the people who know who know the bible right or, or know the law they know the law and he's like so then he brings up the next one uh uh for he saith to moses i will have mercy on whom i will have mercy and i will have compassion on whom i have compassion so then it is not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth but of God that showeth mercy. Now, this is talking about, still talking about his plan, his plan for the, for the gospel to get out to the world. This is talking about the purpose of the Messiah coming, not talking about individual salvation, right? God gives salvation to all that accept it. And then verse 17, it says, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up. So he's given another illustration here. For the, even for this same purpose. What purpose? 
the salvation will be known to everyone. And, and that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. I mean, if you understand Egypt and Pharaoh and who they were and what they were, they are the biggest, greatest nation of people. But how did they become that? Who created them to be that? And was it by God's mercy? When, when the famine came, who was it that was there to tell Pharaoh about the famine? That was, that was Joseph. That was of God. So who raised him up? God did. And God had mercy on, on Egypt then. Egypt was basically the superpower of the world because of who? Because of God and what he chose to do with them. So then, God then, through Pharaoh, what did he do to Pharaoh? Did, did Pharaoh have a choice in, in what he was doing? Because God raised him up. It says that he raised him up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. So let's look at Pharaoh. Did he have a choice? What did he do? God used him right, right there. And then it says, uh, after, after that, it says in verse 21, hath not the potter power over the clay and the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. So what did God do with Pharaoh? Yeah. So it's interesting. And this is why so many people all of us, including our Seasprawl and all of his classes he teaches, have such a problem with unconditional election. Did God have have Pharaoh born only so he could persecute him and uh, give plagues to him and destroy him and send him to hell? Is, is that how God planned it, that God created him and made him for that? I don't believe that. And I believe when you go back and look at the passage, see, God hardened his heart so he could beat him up and destroy him and create all this there. There's a part of it, but there's a first choice that was given to Pharaoh of what he was going to do and who he was going to be before God ever hardened their heart. Okay. Exodus chapter one, verse eight, there rose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto the people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we come on. Let us deal wisely with them. Wisely? Let, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out of war, they join also our enemies and fight against us. So get them out of the land. Therefore did he set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, uh, Pithom and Ramses. So before anything ever happened, they said, oh, no. Uh, by the way, had these children of Joseph um, and of Isaac, did they ever cause any problems for Pharaoh? No. He was just afraid, oh, if we have war, they may side with them. So, all right, let's put taskmasters over them. Let's make them our slaves. Now, why is that? Pharaoh, his heart chose to do that before. Then, okay, if that's not bad enough, make them slaves when they shouldn't be slaves. By the way, the whole blessing, like Jonathan said, the whole blessing of Egypt came from God and Joseph. Uh, if not, they would have seven years of plenty. They wouldn't have saved back for it. They would have seven years of famine and would have died and starved like so many other people. But God did that. God went to use them. And because of God and God's people, Joseph, then they became the most powerful nation and owned everything. Okay. But now, New king, and here's what he said, verse 16. And he said, when you do the office, talking to the midwives, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew children and see them uh, upon their stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then, shall, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do, um, and, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but save the men children alive. How wicked, how vile, of a man do you have to be to tell the midwives, here's a woman giving birth to a baby. And as soon as you find out it's a boy, take a knife, stab it, cut its head off, kill it, smother it, strangle it. This baby was just born, took its first breath, and now it's being killed by a midwife if it's a boy. But if it's a girl, save them so we can use them for our purposes that we want later on. How messed up, how filthy, how vile, how wicked is that man, okay? Oh, yeah, God just, no. Pharaoh chose what kind of man he was going to be way before God hardened their heart, way before that. Then, if you want to look at God hardening their heart and do the study, I've got it all here, you can do it. Sometimes, Exodus seven thirteen, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then sometimes, 
Pharaoh, <laughs> Exodus 8.15. And when Pharaoh saw that he was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them. Sometimes God hardened his heart. Sometimes he hardened his heart. Exodus 7.32. And Pharaoh, uh, Exodus 8.32. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at that time. Um, Exodus 9.12. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And it goes back and forth on and on through all of those. won't read all those to you, but do the study. Go look up and see when they hardened their heart. This was not something God created Pharaoh just so we could torture him, put him through the plagues, and then drown him in the Red Sea. This was something God created. Hey, could Pharaoh have went to, you people are blessed. Why are you so blessed? Oh, we have a, a book and a Messiah and a God, and we have the gospel. And could Pharaoh have done that? Sure, but he didn't. He took them as slaves, killed their boys, and then used their girls. What a messed up thing. That's who Pharaoh was before God ever hardened his heart. So don't try to say, oh, that's only God. Um, God does use people for his purpose, um, like he did Pharaoh, but Pharaoh had a choice first. He was not a robot uh, to be able to do only only that. Right. And and so in that verse, verse 17, and it says, that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Uh, we've been doing a study on Wednesday night on the children of Israel and, and going through Genesis and then, uh, then Exodus as they, they leave Egypt. And it is amazing to watch all the plagues. You know, you grew up as a kid, you listen to the plagues and you go through and you're, and you're like, oh yeah, they had, they had frogs and they had uh, flies and they had uh, lice and they had, you know, go through all these things. What was the purpose of everyone? I hope you understand that every one of those plagues was not random. He didn't just plague the Nile for whim. He, the Nile was their God. They threw babies into the Nile. They sacrificed to the Nile. The Nile was a God. And if you go through every single one of the plagues, it was another God. They, they worshiped the sun, Ra. They, they worshiped the sun. And what did God ca- cause? Because it's black darkness, darkness. They they couldn't even have a candle. There was complete and utter darkness. Why? Because he was showing, and right here, that I might show my power in thee. God smote every single one of Egypt's gods. Why? And that my name, my name might be declared throughout all the world. Why does God want his name to be declared throughout all the world? So that everybody has the opportunity to accept the true Messiah. One God that can strike down great Egypt in ten plagues and all of Egypt's gods. That right there, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. That I might show my power in thee. Now, Pharaoh, was his heart hardened so that he couldn't accept the Messiah? I, I think that if you look at all that Pharaoh saw and how blessed you, I mean, look at Joseph, look at all the children of Israel. They watch these people that God obviously has a plan for these people. I think that you could very easily say that Pharaoh has heard about their God. He knows about their God, but he doesn't believe in him. He has the choice but he doesn't choose to believe in him. And then God uses him and says, okay, if you're not going to believe in me, I'll use you then. Right. Now I'll harden your heart so that other people can believe in me. You chose not to, and I will show you that I am God. And, and that's what he did. So that his, his purpose and that, uh, that the Messiah will be declared, declared, declared. What happens when someone declares throughout all the earth? That means people were going around and saying, this God, this God, you see what he did? They declared the Messiah to the world, to the whole earth because of this one thing right here. And everybody has the opportunity to accept the Messiah here. I think you can very easily now look at this passage and see, you know, he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardeneth. For, for what purpose? For his purpose. For the Messiah. It's, it's out of love for the world that he hardened Pharaoh's heart for, because Pharaoh already rejected him. It was right. out of love right. for the world 
And that's why, for God so loved the world that he gave his son for the world. Amen. All right. Hey, we're uh, almost an hour on this, so this is part one. Uh, next time we're going to go into, in case you know your quote passages there, we're going to uh, go into uh, Ephesians uh, 1, chosen us before the foundation of the world, um, for 2 Timothy 1, also Acts 13, 48. Um, uh, by the way, if you have any questions for us, feel free, email us at thefundamentalbaptistpodcast at gmail.com, and uh, we'll add those in uh, to the questions there. So we will finish up next time. Um, uh, this uh, unconditional election part two. And if you have any questions for us, let us know. Hopefully you can understand that. It's a lot deeper, a lot deeper than just what they're saying. Um, and you have to look up, of course, context. You have to look up antecedents. You have to look up biblically when he said it is written or it was said. Okay, where was it said? Where was that at? Oh, wow. Go back to the beginning of Jacob and Esau. Two nations are in thee. That's the struggle. Go back in Malachi and see, okay, the people of Edom, what, what direction they went, what, when, where, how. There's so much understanding when you look at the scriptures in whole. Uh, and um, for Calvinism to be such an intellectual uh, giant, it's supposed to be. It's amazing how many times they don't do that. Even when the Holy Spirit or their spirit or their soul or their conscience is trying to say, this isn't right. I don't choose you and create you for heaven and choose you and create you for hell. John, then end, end on this. If someone then is going to believe this and they're struggling with morality or life or whatever, uh, what happens to someone who believes this Calvinism and thinks they may not be the one? Where do they go to? What happens to them? And I know there's many illustrations of this, but right. it's sad. Well, I... I, I just saw recently, and, and this is this is incredible. Someone that grew up in church, uh, and and you may be familiar with the Westboro Baptist Church, uh, specifically. They grew up in church, and they were taught Calvinism, and they can quote to you Romans nine, and because of Romans nine, and looking at this, and they 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 this uh, girl on this podcast, she read from or she quoted from Romans 9 to Joe Rogan on Joe Rogan's podcast. Now, I wouldn't suggest listening to Joe Rogan, but Joe Rogan has the biggest podcast out there, right? He has the most people listening to his podcast. Now take someone that believed in Calvinism that says, she uh, read the, the verse, hath not the potter power over the clay, and of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and, unto, and another unto dishonor. And she had a problem with God choosing some for heaven and choosing some for hell, and you have no choice. And she's telling this to Joe Rogan, and now she's an atheist. And this is the understanding that now Joe Rogan and all of the thousands of, and I don't know his numbers, but of people that listen to his podcast and what they hear of Christianity that God chooses some to go to heaven and some to burn for eternity, that's, and it has nothing to do with your choice, but only to do with, with God's election. What happens to a person that believes this? They lead how many other people astray because they don't understand the love of God and they don't understand this passage that they were chosen, yes, for a purpose, but not unto salvation. It wasn't, I choose you for heaven and I choose you for hell. He chose him, he chose that, those people, that nation, to bring the Messiah through, to bring all these promises through. And look at what happens to people that go down this road of misunderstanding of the passage. Because I read it and I, I understand why it's been misinterpreted this way. But I, am, I, I hurt for anybody who's fallen into this because of what happens at the end of it. I understand God loves me and all I have to do is accept him and his love and his blood covers all of my sins. But to the other person, they read this and they go, well, maybe I'm just one of those people that was born to burn. What an incredible but horrible way to live that you just come to the point where you say, if I'm born to burn, that I don't believe in God. 
Why would I believe in a God that would create me, that he would mold me? It talks about a potter. He created you and then says, okay, now you get to burn for eternity. What sort of God is that? That's not love. That's not love at all. Absolutely. I just looked up the numbers. So for Joe Rogan worldwide, 200 million downloads a month. 200 million downloads a month, um, the people that listen to him. And what a sad thing when you accept Calvinism and you realize so many times what happens, where people end up at. It's a horrible thing. My first connection ever with Calvinism, I mentioned this on the first one, a girlfriend when I was in grade school, and uh, I preached later on, and she came to hear me, and she said, yeah, I keep struggling with sin and keep falling. So my pastor said, I'm just probably not one of the chosen ones. What a, what a horrible thing. I don't know that she's an atheist, but she has gone on into the world because I'm just not one of the chosen, so why should I try? What a horrible, horrible doctrine. It's not biblical. It's not um, godly. Um, God so loved the world. All right, we will uh, pick up here next time, and uh, thank you for listening. If you've got a question again, email us, thefundamentalbaptistpodcast at gmail.com. God bless you. We'll talk to you then. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thefundamentalbaptistpodcast at gmail.com.